Um, I'm an Americanized Latino male. Have we ever talked about this before? So what does that mean? Um, That means that I, I, I do run late, just not as late as I probably would otherwise be had it not been Americanized. Catch my drift? I have a couple of issues of, as to why I'm late. Number one, I take a ridiculously long time in the bathroom. Why? I don't know. I'm just standing around. I, I, I don't know. You've got to ask Carrie Bill. I don't know. What, what are you doing in there? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> have you been showered yet? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's one. Take a long time in the bathroom. Two, um, I do a very poor job calculating how long it takes to get to places. Oh, yeah. From here to Westwood, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, no problem. Uh, 20, 25. Here to Parsippany, it should take you like 22 minutes, 22 minutes max. It's like 35, right, buddy? I'm always late for lunch with Mike. Mike knows. He's like, okay, Omar's going to be late. Um, I, 15 minutes, yeah, right. But no, but that's, see, that's my other problem. My other problem is I, I try to squeeze in an enormous amount of things in a small window before I have to actually leave. So let's just say that everything's going right. I actually took a shower rather quickly, and there's still hot water left over for Carrie and everybody else in the house. <laughs> let's just say um, that I'm actually calculating properly, and I'm factoring in traffic, local traffic. I'm factoring that into my estimation. I know that I have to leave within 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, I can leave and not be late. The problem is, I have this bright idea that I'm like, well, I can squeeze in four emails, I can read that article, watch that video, and get into a texting war with Matt Goodrich about whatever's happening on that day and our meeting later on in the afternoon. Oh, I'm late. I should have left 10 minutes ago. My bad. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't like being late. I know that I'm late. I'm well aware of that. I'm not one of those people that like shows up and like just is like makes believe that like, oh, this is the time that we said we were going to meet. I don't do that. I apologize. I don't like to be late. It's what's on my mind. When I show up to something and I'm late, I'm unprepared because the only thing that I've been thinking about is the fact that I'm late. And maybe, just maybe, it takes seven minutes to get there, but if I catch all the green lights, it's only going to take me five. So technically, I'm only going to be like three minutes late instead of you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this is that time of year, right, where, where, we, where we look back over 2014 and we say, what are the things that have gone really well? Right? Where have I succeeded in 2014? What are the things that haven't gone so well? What are things that I want to see change come 2015? Right? This is that time of year to do that. We're all... In that, fa- uh, in that phase. I talked to a number of you. Within the first 30 seconds, you were telling me of how much you ate over this past week. And let's just be honest with ourselves, it really started in August. I know that it did for me. It wasn't this week. It, was st- it started in August, okay? We all, we're looking at the budget. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, actually, you're right. You're right. Some of you will look at your budgets. You'll say, wow, we spent way too much money. January, thankfully, is a time of nothingness, so let's buckle down and do what we got to do just to try to get things back to a balance, right? This is that time where we look into those things. How do I be less late? You know, how, how my weight and this, that, and the other thing, what changes, right? Let me ask you something. How many of us 
have asked the question, though, what did my worship of God look like over 2014? Was it good? Did I worship God well in 2014? Was I faithful with different things in 2014? Collectively, as a, as a church family, did we worship God really well this past year? Right? Some of you, you might have been thinking about some of that. For some of us, we're, we're maybe starting to ask the question like, what does God have for me in this next year? And are we ready for it? Am I personally ready for whatever God is going to bring my way? Hopefully, we'll wrestle through some of these things this morning. You can open up to Judges chapter 6. If you've got a blue book on chair, <clears throat> Judges chapter 6, verse 11 is on the bottom of page 148. Judges chapter 6, verse 11, page 148. I'll give you a little background before we jump in. <clears throat> Here's what's happening in this time. It hasn't been long since the nation of Israel was rescued by God from the nation of Egypt. It hasn't been long since the nation of Israel has experienced the parting of the Red Sea and, and God coming to their rescue and you know, bringing them you know, through the Red Sea and, and then seeing the entire Egyptian army be swallowed up by the Red Sea. It hasn't been long since the people of Israel have been wandering through the desert for about 40 years until they finally reached the promised land that God had promised to Abraham generations before, many generations before. It hasn't been long since all of these things have happened where, where they received a challenge by Joshua saying, follow God, you know, follow him. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. You too, do that. Go and do that. It hasn't been long since this has all gone on within the nation of Israel. But here's what's happened. The people have forgotten. The Bible in numerous chapters here, it says, and Israel started to do what was right in their own eyes. So people started to do what was right in their own eyes Basically meaning they turned away from the things of God. They started ignoring God. They started worshiping the other gods of the people that lived in the land before they did. And so here's what God does. God, of course, sin bears consequences. So God punishes them. And there's a group of people called the Midianites who come into the land and they're in charge for seven years. For seven years, these Midianites are oppressing the people of Israel. Anything that the ground produces, they take for themselves. It, the Bible almost describes them as locusts. You guys know what locusts are. They come through the harvest. They completely eat everything, leave nothing left behind. That's exactly what these people were doing to the nation of Israel, this group of Midianites. And so for seven years, everybody's in hiding. Everybody's afraid for what's happening. So this is where we pick up the narrative. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. You can see it on the screen too. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Aphra, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Which is ironic because what Gideon is doing, the threshing wheat, he needed, to be, he needed to do that in, in a place where there was more wind, where there was more access to wind. What he's doing right then and there, he's trying to separate what's good from bad. He's trying to keep the wheat, but everything else is supposed to blow away in the wind. 
but he's hiding. He's in the bottom of a wine press. In the bottom of a wine press, there's no wind, right? So this job that he's doing is either completely impossible or extremely difficult for him to accomplish. And yet, when God, because it says the angel of the Lord appeared, basically God himself came and spoke to Gideon. And he calls him a mighty hero, which is ironic. Mighty hero. I'm hiding. I'm in hiding. Mighty hero. We'll get back to that. Verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. So they finished their exchange. Uh, Gideon brings an offering. Uh, Some miraculous thing happens. Gideon freaks because he realizes, oh my goodness, I'm talking to God face to face. And in those days, and I guess still today, if you see God face to face, it's not a good thing. You know, it's not believed to not be a good thing. I, I can't hang out in front of God and just be in God's presence without anything happening to me. So he freaks out about this. God tells him to calm down, relax, and that exchange is over. But then we pick it up in verse 25. It says this, <clears throat> That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he, but he did it at night, because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. So the next morning, everybody realizes that they're Idols have been cut down. They want justice. Who did this? They figure out that Gideon has done it. They want Gideon punished. Gideon's dad stands up for him. Says if Baal, you know, Baal can protect himself. Baal can watch over himself. You know, if it was a big deal, Baal take care of it. And then from there on, we launch into Gideon's full-on story. Um, which is a very interesting story because there's a lot of ups and downs that Gideon faces uh, in his journey with God. And in all that he does, he does end up conquering the Midianites, just like God said, you know, he would. But before we can address that and talk about all of that, we need to look at something that's really important here at the beginning of this passage. Because here's what's happening. God comes to Gideon and he promises him all of these things. He says, Gideon, here is how I want to use you. Everybody knows who the Midianites are. It wasn't like this like, little street gang of like five people on a corner somewhere that like, whether they you know, got beat up or not, it wasn't a big deal to like, the rest of the town or the rest of the people. This was a big deal. This was seven years of oppression. And God is saying, Gideon, you, I am calling you. Get up from where you are. You're a hero. You're a warrior. God will be with you. I will be with you. 
I will walk you through this. You're going to see that when you take on these people, it's as if you were fighting one man. That's a big statement. That's a bold statement by God, right? Imagine that, like, coming to you. There's the impossible standing before you. And God's like, hey, that's going to be nothing like turning on your computer laptop. Hey, that's going to be nothing, you know, other than, you know, like you driving your car to work. It's not going to be a big deal. That's a big statement by God. But then God does something very interesting in the evening. He talks to Gideon about something else. And, And we can look at this and say, oh yeah, that's a good initiation for Gideon, right? He's about to go fight an entire army of people. And so, I guess God needs to see if he can trust Gideon. So God gives him this test. Go go cut down, you know, if you can't cut down idols and you can't cut down things that don't move, um, can't do that, then, then I guess you're not ready, you're not fit to fight an army. But that's not what's happening here at all. God is saying, Gideon, as you walk with me, as I've promised you different things, as God wants to use you, as I want to use you, there will be idols in your life that you have got to tear down. As you walk with me in your journey of faith, as you process through faith with me together, as we go on this journey, you will be faced with idols that you need to deal with. There are things in your life that need to be cut down. This is just not a national problem. This is something that is existing in your own back yard, and we need to deal with this. God is saying, ultimately, Gideon, you need to get your worship right. You need to get your worship right. Before we, before we go head on, before we go and attack the Midianites, before we go conquer this army, you need to get your worship right. Because from this passage, there's two, maybe even three things that we see that Gideon does not believe about God. One, Gideon does not believe that God is good. He doesn't, I mean, Gideon does not believe that God is great. He does not believe that God is great. You see that early on in the passage. Where's God? Where are the miracles? Right? We, we, were, we were brought out of Egypt. Where is he now? What's he doing? Right? Gideon does not fess up to any of the sin of himself, his people, the nation, none of these things. But he blames God because God has allowed this all to happen. Where is he? God isn't great. God has no power. God has no control. He doesn't see what's going on. And so therefore, I'm hiding. I'm trying to grasp control of my life, provide for my family, figure out what I need to do because God is not great. And so Gideon says, we need to deal with that. Gideon also doesn't believe that God is glorious. Because why? He fears his household and the other town's people. And this is funny because, like, remember what Gideon said about himself? I'm, I'm like the least in my family. I'm from, like, you know, my, my clan, you know, so unimportant. This guy's got ten servants. The least member in the family, he's got ten servants. That doesn't add up. I don't have any servants, right? A none at all. Even when the girls grow up, I'm going to be the one out there, you know, shoveling, basically, and cleaning off cars, right? I don't have any servants. This guy, he's the least in his family, but he's got 10. So he takes 10 of them. 
he does this thing. But he does it at night because he's afraid of what everybody else is doing. Gideon, God just called you out of the, the bottom of a dungeon to go attack an army. And you're afraid of the people in your own home? Gideon, I want to use you. But you've got to get your worship right. Your focus is off. God is not great to you. God is not glorious to you. And most likely God wasn't good and God wasn't gracious to Gideon. Yet, he knew the stories. Yet, he knew the history. It wasn't too long ago that all this was going on. What does this mean for us? It's a point, Omar. Throughout this year, I can guarantee you that God wants to use each and every one of us in a special way, in a powerful way, in a deep way, in a real way. I don't know what it is for you, I'm starting, to get to see, I'm starting to see what that is for me, but I don't know exactly what it is for you. And the question is, are we ready? As you follow Gideon, the rest of Gideon's story, you'll see that he never quite got his worship right. He didn't. Read the rest of the story. I'm not going to ruin it for you. It's great. A lot of good stuff. But he never got his worship right. He never got his focus right. If you've been with us over the course of the last month, you know we've been talking about this. The four G's, right? The four gospel truths about who God is. These things are going to continue to... You're going to see that it's everywhere in Scripture, right? Where people don't see these things, where, where there's, a, there's a failing of recognizing who God really is. And we want to be challenging these things. But for us, we have to be able to learn to get our worship right as a church family, as individuals, and as a church family as well. Two opportunities that we have as we start this year. One, Sunday mornings. As for those of you that already heard Rob, Sunday mornings are going to be really a time of where we're refocusing our worship and our attention on Jesus. We're going to be worshiping through song. We're going to be worshiping through the word. You know that when you come here, we tell you this is a time to be prepared and equipped and empowered and all these things. But this is really a time to worship. When the church family gets together, when the people of God get together, the one question that should be walking away with is not, did Rob rock it? Did the band hit every note? Was it my favorite tunes? No. Was God worshipped? That should be the thing that we walk away with, you know, asking ourselves. Was God worshipped? Yeah, man, I, I worship God with everything I had, you know. It was a rough week, but I gave him everything I had. Why do I say this? We're going to be here ready to go at 10 o'clock. Our challenge to you, be here at 10 o'clock. None of us would ever, 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 ever think to ourselves, you know what, I'm going to show up to the office this month, 60% of the time. Three out of five ain't bad, right? You know? Maybe a little bit more. Maybe on a good week, I'll be there four out of five. We would never do that. That would never cross our minds. We wouldn't have have a job. We wouldn't have a job really at all, right? None of us would say, yeah, you know, it's all right if I, you know, stroll in 20, 30 minutes late. It's okay. No big deal. No problem. We would never do that. Why is it that 
the almighty dollar, whatever, gets the 110% of us. Not just 100%, 110%. For some of you, you're pushing 125% of where you are. And yet God and the family, us, get 60%. Why is that? Think about it. Something to wrestle through, something to pray with. We're going to be ready to go, 10 o'clock. It's not just about Sundays. My hope and my desire is that we worship well through our MC families. We worship well in our spheres of influence. We worship well by loving our neighbors and serving our neighborhoods. But we also want to make this time a priority. This is when the family gathers together. Make it a priority. Be here. Try to be here on time. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best to be on time. The second thing, as you already know, is the fast. The fast is starting, 21-day fast is starting this coming Wednesday and will run through Wednesday, January 28th. This, this Wednesday is the 7th. It will end 21 days later on January the 28th. We are encouraging, the 21-day fast is built around the Daniel fast, right? So it's abstaining from delicacies and wine and coffee and stuff like that. And um, what we're eating, it, yeah, I know it sounds pretty intense, doesn't it? What we're eating, some of you heard fast and you were like, no, why? Is it already that time? But we're eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, you know, healthy, eating healthy. Why do, we, why do we want to encourage that? Because we want to control you. I'm just kidding. I want to see who's paying attention. Just kidding. Just kidding. Seriously, we're not, we're not trying to control anybody. We want to encourage you to push yourself, obviously. If doing a 21-day Daniel fast is just out of the question for you, fine. But find something that is of sacrifice to be able to fast, okay? And join us, you know, with, within the midst of this. Um, we're going to have different resources on our website, different links to different things to show, you know, recipes where you can find some helpful recipes that aren't going to taste, you know, wonderful like that steak, but hey... It's a stretch and it's a challenge. But why? Why do we fast? The primary reason we fast is because fasting is worship. Let me say that one more time. Fasting is worship. If our fast is not centered 100% around God and focused in on bringing worship to God, then our fast isn't going to go so great for us. No matter what you might you know, succeed at. If the mindset is, hey, fast will be, sounds great. It'll help me with my New Year's resolution on trying to cut this, that, and the other thing out of my diet. That's great. Being healthy is great. It's just not that good of a reason as to why you should fast. You know? If the thought is, oh, I, you know, I, I want to you know, be able to pray more intensely and have spiritual you know, things happen and understand things spiritually and, 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 and maybe this will get God to, to finally do that thing I want him to do. That's not centered fully on God. And so that fast won't go so well for you. It's great. Those things aren't bad. You should want to hear from God. You should want change to come into your life. You, you know, you should have, you know, healthy habits. You know, those things are all good. There's nothing bad about those things. But the primary focus for fasting is worship. Is worship. Once we get that in our minds, once we set that up first, then all the other stuff can happen. Because what happens when we fast, well, actually what happens when we don't fast, 
is the things that are happening beneath the surface in our lives, they get covered up by food. I mean, think about it. You have a rough day, what do you run to? Usually food. I know I do. Cheese and crackers. Man, there is nothing that brings more happiness and joy to me and relief from a day of work than cheese and crackers. I'm, I'm just being honest. This is reality. That's what I do, right? Maybe you need to sit in front of a TV, right? You know, there are things that we choose to do when there's stuff happening within us. See, when fa- what fasting happens, what happens during fasting is that these things that are happening below the surface, they rise up. And the way that we've learned to deal with it is through instant gratification. I don't feel well, and I have to make myself feel well. So this is what I'm going to go run to to make myself feel well, to make myself feel better, to be in control, to find satisfaction, to find balance again in my life. Fasting is worship. And once we have that set, fasting, within fasting, God can deal with these things that rise up to the surface. That's what happens. Pride, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, strife, worry, all of these things surface to the top. But that's not a bad thing. This is an opportunity for God to be able to really deal with stuff in your life that has been undealt with and unresolved. When we fast, we're taking this as an opportunity to be intentional, saying for 21 days, I'm going to have laser light focus on God. And here's something that I've missed myself in, fa- in fasting. I, I'm, I'm one, everybody knows it, I'm, I'm just not happy. I'm not a, I am not happy when it comes to fasting. It, I just... But what I've missed is that fasting is actually supposed to be good news. It's supposed to be joyful. I never realized this. But it's actually supposed to be joyful and good news. It's going to be tough. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's tough. It's hard. There's days you just want to be like, forget it, man. I just want a chocolate cake right now, you know? But during fasting, I get to be reminded that God is good and I don't have to find my satisfaction in food. Facebook, being noticed, going to sites that I shouldn't be wandering into. I get to be reminded that God is really good. During fasting, I get to be reminded that God is great and I don't have to be in control. And for 21 days, my life could be out of whack. My life could have a complete upside down flip on what I'm eating and, and how my schedule is now you know, seemingly moving. But God is still great. I get to be reminded of that during fasting. I get to be reminded that God is gracious and I don't have to fear anything. I don't have to relinquish control to other things that I'm afraid of. I don't have to be afraid of people. I don't, be, have, to afraid of, I don't have to be afraid of circumstances because God is the focus. God is the point. God is the substance. God is the weight of my life. And I don't have, and I, I get to be reminded during fasting that God is gracious and I don't have to prove myself and that this isn't legalism. This is an opportunity to worship God in a different way, but it's an opportunity to give God my full attention, to give him my full on worship. Amen? So, to conclude, 
God has promises for us. Just like Gideon. God wants to use us in supernatural ways. I believe that. He wants to. He does. He really does. But along the way in this journey, along the way over those 21 days, there are idols that must come crashing down in our lives that keep us from fully worshiping God. Those things are going to creep to the surface and God wants us to deal with it. Be here on time on Sundays. Be on time, be present, be prepared in your missional community, with your missional community family. Be ready. God wants to do something and you don't want to be late. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to be unprepared. You don't want to be distracted. Amen?